Hey DNVR listeners, really excited to tell you guys about some game-changing coffee. StravaCraft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. These guys' reviews are incredible, so make sure you check them out. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines along with back pain and arthritis, IBS, self-decrease anxiety, pretty much you name it. CBD is also all-natural, not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it anymore to our listeners. As Strava says, drink deeply, live fully. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the code DNVR20 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. What's going on, guys? Welcome into the DNVR Nuggets podcast. Harrison Wint here, along with Brendan Vote on the other line. We are presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. Make sure to check those guys out uh, for all your beer, wine, and spirits needs. Brendan, how's it going, man? I'm all right, man. Landed this morning, uh, got up at 4.30 a.m. in Jersey, hopped on a flight, and just tweeting out that top 50 list, man, that I think it's coming out all right. I like what we got going on. Um, if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, you got to check out our top 50 of the last decade, our top of the tens, we're calling it. We broke down the uh, 50 through 41st most impactful or influential members of the Denver sports scene. And we have some offshoot content off that as well. We have a podcast up now about the best rivalries from that decade. And we have much, much more to come, Harrison. So I'm stoked about that project. As am I. Really cool project uh, that we're doing. Probably the most all-encompassing, in-depth project that we've done. And what I think is so cool about the projects we can do at DNVR is that we can incorporate all of the Denver sports into what we're doing. So, I mean, this involves every rider across every beat. And, yeah, we're all coming together to put together the top 50 list. And, yeah, there's going to be a lot of offshoots, too. Best Rivalries, which I believe was a, a podcast that we put out on Monday uh, that a couple different writers from different sports were on. Most, uh, like, n- not only just top 50 most important figures, but, um, like, most important moments, best games, stuff like that, biggest villains of the decade. So, really cool list. Tomorrow we're going to sit down, the DNVR Nuggets guys, and record... A video segment we're going to try to break down like how would you parse out Michael Malone and Tim Connolly here who deserves more credit if you had to assign it to them right who's been more impactful during their tenure here in Denver that's going to be a really interesting conversation so keep your eyes peeled for that yeah definitely looking forward uh to that let's wrap up uh the Nuggets loss over the weekend I spent a lot of time mm-hmm. breaking it down on Monday but curious to get some of your final thoughts on it here uh, on today's show and then we'll get into some maybe under reported under the radar storylines from the first quarter of the season and then finally look ahead to uh, the Lakers game the Lakers here in, in town on Tuesday but Nuggets fall in Sacramento 197 uh, just a pretty pitiful offensive performance in the second half where are you kind of sitting with this game now that we've had more than you know just a couple days to um, digest it you know, it, d- it didn't happen in a vacuum, Harrison. That's what I'm thinking about. This isn't the first time we've seen the Nuggets offense stall out late in games with a lead. This isn't the first time we've seen guys kind of stand around and watch and wait 
for someone else to make something happen. This is not the first time we've seen this team in the Malone era really struggle to execute late in games or out of timeout situations. So in the context of 82 games, do you lose a game on the road against a, a healthier and, and playing better Sacramento Kings team? It happens, sure. But the way in which you lost, I don't know if worrisome is the right word, but it didn't happen in a vacuum. And, and it's worth noting that I personally have talked so much about how I trust this offense to be good when it counts. We've seen several stretches where they've gone anemic when it matters most this season. So that is somewhat concerning. I agree with uh, pretty much what you said there. And, and yeah, it is concerning because for some of the reasons you laid out and while this un unraveling in the second half was happening i can't say i was terribly surprised because like you said we've seen this happen before where the offense just dies for possessions and for quarters and then for halves and uh and that's exactly what happened over the second half in sacramento but what was surprising though a little bit was how bad the nuggets were you know in the last five minutes of that game and in overtime in kind of the clutch moments and crunch time where the Nuggets have been so good over you know the last couple of years but we've seen uh, on a few occasions this year Michael Malone talked about this at practice today this according to him was the seventh time where the Nuggets have had a lead in the fourth quarter that they've allowed their opponent to go on what he classified as a big run and uh, mm. he said it finally hurt them in this game but I think similar things have happened against Dallas uh similar runs have happened before but then yeah late in the game late in the fourth quarter the final few minutes and in overtime when Nuggets have been so good they kind of fail to execute and I mean the biggest thing that stuck out to me over those final few minutes like Jokic just did did not have the impact he usually does late in clutch games yeah yeah he missed a lot of shots in those in that fourth quarter and he didn't get to touch the ball in either of those situations to either win the game or extend the game at the buzzer And no matter how cold he's been or disinterested he's looked, there's probably an issue there, right? This has been one of the most clutch players in basketball over the last couple of seasons. Two game winners already. You would have liked to see him touch the ball. But yeah, to your point, he had plenty of opportunities to ice it in those final five minutes. Uh, Those weren't confident Jokic shots. Those looked like he was frustrated with the offense. He wasn't expecting them to generate good looks. And I I would classify these as almost screw it shot attempts in clutch time from a really really savvy player so that was that was uh tough tough to watch i guess is the best i can say yeah definitely everybody kind of <clears throat> focused on those the last play of regulation where you know jamal was dribbling the ball for really the entire possession did not get off a good look and then uh, in overtime when the nuggets kind of drew up that play they did not have a timeout remaining and they came down and really weren't able to get off a good shot Two ugly possessions, and you know Murray got a lot of the blame for those. And I think if you're maybe looking to blame him for one of those possessions, it's the one at the end of regulation. Yeah. At the end of overtime, it seemed like he was really just running a play that the Nuggets called, and you know a play call that was a little odd looking back on it because it definitely seemed like they were trying to get Will Barton in the corner when he was coming down on a a screen, yeah. and. The Kings just bottled up that play, just switched that screen, so they played it how they were supposed to, and then there was just really nothing left for Jamal to do. And so I'm not really sure what he was supposed to do there. 
I, I agree with you, man. First of all, it didn't seem like there was enough time to execute that play call as it was, really. But you're right. I mean, there were no outs. Not only was there nothing designed, there was not enough time. And you're right. It looks like he dribbles the ball out. He has to fall on the grenade. And I think it's just compounded by, as you mentioned, his poor execution in that final play in regulation. I agree that second play isn't on him. The first one, though, I, I thought I, I could almost see Jokic like raise his shoulders, almost throw his hands in the air when he set that screen and slipped it. And Murray never even really tried to get him the ball and was doubled, was all obviously ultimately blocked at the end. I mean, that was just a Jamal Murray possession all the way where he wanted to make it happen. And I don't know, those guys were on the same page, man. They were synced up last season and particularly in the postseason not too worried yet, but a couple of occasions this year where they, they don't look to be on that same wavelength. Yeah, they definitely don't seem to have that same cohesion, same chemistry as of late that they had over last season. That was like the biggest thing to come out of last year, uh, the Jokic-Murray a two-man game for sure. I said this on Monday's show, but when Jamal was dribbling the ball up and a regulation uh, in the fourth quarter, you had the feeling that there was no way he was passing that ball, you know? That's at least yeah, the, no, that, that's how I felt at least. Yeah. No, I got that sense as well. And yeah. then if we get that sense, what do you think Jokic is feeling, right? Yeah. And I think that's why even prior to that final possession, that's why his shots looked so weird. I mean, he was it, it, they weren't really running in offense. It was the Jamal Murray show and when he's not hitting those shots and and he's playing in that way, it can be detrimental. And you know, another dynamic I thought reared its head in that game. We've talked a lot about how how much pressure Michael Malone feels and how stressed he gets, even when nursing a, uh, even when holding a really big lead late in games, stomping around, rage timeouts. We've discussed the possibility that players get sick of that stuff. Well, in this game down the stretch, Malone wanted to call a timeout and, and get this train back on the tracks. And it looked to me like Jamal Murray was yelling at him to let them play through it. Hmm. So we finally saw that conflict there. And then obviously they, they did not play through it, Harrison. Yeah, and, and that frustration that the Nuggets felt in this loss, you could feel that still emulating at practice today. I mean, mm. if you did not watch this game and just were there at practice for Michael Blown's post-practice media address, you could have guessed that the Nuggets had blown like a 15-plus point second-half lead, which uh, they did in Sacramento. He was uh, still really feeling that loss for sure. Still very frustrated, was was short with his comments today. And um, you know, speaking with Jamal Murray, he just kind of wants to move on, doesn't really want to belabor uh, those possessions that we just talked about, and just kind of wants to move ahead to the Lakers. But uh, it, just kind of a tense vibe at practice today, I thought. Yeah, I, I obviously couldn't make it today, Harrison, so I'll just have to deflect to you on that but that's not surprising yeah either of those things you said first of all if I was Jamal Murray after those plays I would also want to not talk about this game and Michael Malone man I 13 and 4 he doesn't seem to be enjoying one second of this so that he was tense today not a surprise look it's not a problem yet I don't want to try to raise panic or alarm after one road loss but I just think it's something to monitor here. Malone has, has worked so hard to kind of release his grip on the steering wheel over during his tenure in Denver. It looks like he's tightening up again this year, and I don't know how well those guys are going to respond in years, you know, four and five with him. So yeah, I think it might be a little bit of an early season thing, and maybe he takes kind of kind of his grip off the reins, right? Yeah. in you know a couple months. But the Nuggets being thirteen and four, and 
you know, him running so tight right now, I, I, I think it falls in line with some of the stuff we've talked about in terms of, yeah, like the Nuggets have been playing well. They've got some good wins. Their defense looks great. But we know this is not going to be a team that reaches its full potential if the offense doesn't get back on track. Right. And I do wonder if he senses that as well, that we're in a good spot, you know, second in the West, and uh, a good record. We got great good health. Some guys on this team are off to good starts this year. But you know, there, there's something just still not right. And um, I wonder if that's a little bit of where his frustration at 13-4 and four is coming from. I bet it is. Yeah, it seems that way to me. And worth noting, the defense was also bad down the stretch of that game. That probably drove him nuts as well. Yeah. And we know this team feeds off of, of their offensive success, right? They play with so much more energy, so much more relentless and, and tenacious on the defensive end when those shots are falling and they're having fun. So you're right. I think he senses something that is important. They're going to win a lot of regular season games this way. But if they're going to be the best version of themselves, there's no doubt about it, man. They have to be better offensively. All right, before we go any further, and I definitely want to talk about some under-the-radar storylines here, then look ahead to this Laker game, which I think is probably the biggest game of the season uh, to this point. The Breckhop Peak IPA, Brendan. So I was at, I was out in uh, Southern California over Thanksgiving break. and Flex. <laughs> is, that, is that a flex? Always. <laughs> but um, I went to some pretty small... Uh, just local bar in Sierra Madre, California. Sure enough, they had Breck beer and uh, enjoyed a hot peak IPA when I was there. Um, but, you know, thank God because I wasn't going to settle for some California craft brew while I was out there. Yeah. No way I could possibly do that. Uh, so, got a hot peak IPA under my belt. And, um, you know, thank God they had, their, had that there. But just another great beer from uh, Breck Brewing that we all enjoy. I couldn't get my hands on a break this break, so I drank exclusively wine. I boycotted all the other beer. You know, that's what you got to do. If you can't get your hands on a break brew, if you can't drink break brew, just don't drink be- beer altogether. No, <laughs> boycott beer entirely. Just stick exactly. to alcohol or, uh, like, your preference of hard alcohol exactly. or, or wine. <laughs> or Everclear. <laughs> or Everclear. Maybe not the Everclear. <laughs> yeah, but uh, check out the Breck Hot Peak IPA if you guys haven't already. Uh, we know how much people in Colorado and Denver love their IPAs, so uh, definitely check that out as well. Also, Breckenridge Brewery is Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits Brewery of the Month. Make sure to download their app today. Enjoy a six-pack for only $7.99 all month long. Uh, two of our great partners partnering up, Breckenridge Brewery and Davidson's as well. Also, you guys know how supporting local business is in our blood, so we got to tell you about Denver Rubber Company. Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects because since 1972, they've been providing the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets to molded rubber and custom contract manufacturing and custom hoses. Also, with the snow here, you'll need Denver Rubber Company when it comes to anything that has to do with snow plows. They can cut your... They can cut the size and pre-slot most snowplow rubber. The blades can be cut to any length and slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. We went and checked out their warehouse a few weeks back. It was nothing short of amazing. These guys have created proprietary materials that make up the inside of wind turbine blades. And we even witnessed machines that cut material that's used in bulletproof vests. Also, Denver Rubber Company custom makes it all. And you can purchase products for yourself and, of course, buy at bulk for a fantastic rate. 
They're also family-owned, with loyalty only to the people just like us here at DNVR. Be sure to call them today for any snowplow needs, custom gaskets, hoses at 1-800-259-0010, or visit them at drcfirst.com backslash DNVR. All right, Brendan, let's talk about some underreported, under-the-radar storylines here over the first quarter of this season. The one that jumps out to me the most is Paul Millsap's defense. And I feel feel like Gary Harris has been getting the bulk of the credit for Denver's defensive play so far, at least locally. And he deserves a ton of credit. No, no, like don't no, don't no. don't get me wrong here. He he's been locking up the other team's best perimeter defender. He's been just totally just leaning into that matchup every night. So he deserves a ton of credit. But on the backside, Paul Millsap's defense has been absolutely fantastic this year. He's got one of the best defensive ratings in the league. And I think just the glue that holds Denver's defense together. What do you think? Yeah, top individual defensive rating on the team with the best defensive rating in the NBA. We knew he was going to be one of, if not the best defensive players on this roster from the second he arrived. And look, there's no secret or or no confusion about this correlation between Millsap's arrival and trending upwards on the defensive end. He told us he was going to make this an elite defense. That was their team as a goal. I almost laughed out loud in that scrum. They're number one overall (laughs) right now. And there's linear improvement on that end when he's been healthy. And as good as Gary's been, and yes, a lot of this this year is Jamal, Will, even Nikola stepping up. But this just doesn't happen, man. None of this defensive transformation happens if Millsap isn't here, at least in my opinion. It just does not seem like he's taken a step back defensively at all this season. Not at all. Maybe his offense is falling off a little bit and... But defensively, I mean, he has been so good. And actually, going back to the Sacramento game, that's a good question because I'm not sure why he was not out there in the fourth yeah. quarter, then in overtime as well. The Nuggets opting to go with Jeremy Grant. Um, but like Millsap has not fallen off at all defensively. I've always been so impressed by his hands, and you know, his hands look just as lightning quick as they've ever been this year. And so, if you're looking for people to give the most credit, you know, for Denver's just defensive rise and defensive surge over the last couple of seasons. Michael Malone is probably one. Millsap to me is like one A, and yeah. Gary Harris one A, one B, whatever order you want to put them in. He has just been so crucial. He was an answered prayer for Michael Malone, man. Yeah, I'm gonna move it along here to this is kind of come and gone now. But how about the lack of noise, and I'm including us here, the three of us as media, about Malik Beasley not playing, not being in that rotation for a significant chunk of time. I know he got sick, and that was poorly timed, but let's face it, I mean, he was in the seeming doghouse there for a bit, or at least just out of the rotation, and after that season he had last year, I mean, that guy was so good, so good. He he showed such a high ceiling, a higher floor than I expected, and I know it was a rough start for him defensively this year couple of mental mistakes and we know about the tough summer but I mean this guy is going to shoot 40 percent on five attempts from deep or something somewhere around there for most of his career I think uh, and and he's a stud and just bizarre like you know we're trying to figure out well what's wrong with the bench and this is your take I'm kind of stealing it well they were missing their best offensive player that that's part of it yeah you say it was my take but I probably should have been doubling down on it more like what did this bench unit need they needed shooting. They needed offense. They needed just some athleticism, a spark. Right. Yeah. Those yeah. are all things Malik Beasley supplies. And yep. um, you no, know, I think the bench, it, it was really good in that 
you know, last home game when the Nuggets went to that new five-man bench unit, the Morris Beasley, Wancho, Grant Plumley look. It was okay at times against Sacramento. I still think Denver tries to get that unit going against the Lakers, at least for that game and maybe a couple more. I'm still holding out hope for that for that certain group of five in that bench unit. I think yeah. that group can work together. We'll see. Uh, but, yeah, especially like Beasley in a contract year where we know he wants to get paid. We know he's going to be one of the most sought-after free agents, at least I think he will be when the summer hits but yeah that was definitely a very odd beginning to the year from him indeed uh next one i've got on my list here kind of along the lines of beasley but mpj not playing Hmm. Uh, we we've hit on it some maybe we haven't hit on it enough it definitely hasn't gotten the attention i maybe thought it would or it should get nationally or that it would on a lot of other teams but throughout the entire summer all we heard was, "Wow, Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> looks like one. He looks like a lock for the rotation. You know, maybe like one of the Nuggets' better offensive players. He can do everything on that end of the floor. And we're about at the quarter mark of the season, and he's out of the rotation. Yeah, from that national media perspective, that was pretty much the only lens through which they viewed or discussed the Denver Nuggets this summer. Fifty-four wins, a second-round appearance, a." a bad quarter away from the conference finals. And the talk was how good will they be if Michael Porter Jr. is healthy? And then in the preseason, it was, is this guy underrated in the rookie of the year conversation? Is he a good value bet? The answer to that was a resounding no. He's out of the rotation now, man. And barring an injury, uh, I'm not really seeing a path to him getting back in anytime soon. You're right. This is a, a really big story. Um, or lack of a story, I think. And like this guy just commanded the conversation all summer and really all preseason. Right, and it would be a much bigger story if the Nuggets were like the Utah Jazz or like twelve and eight mm-hmm. right now. But the fact that they're thirteen and four and um, you know at the top of the West with with such a deep team that kind of quells the storyline a little bit. But I'll be interested to see how it develops because yeah, uh, if the bench suddenly starts playing well. If this five-man unit really finds its footing and becomes a reliable bench unit, I'm with you. I'm not quite sure how he gets back into this thing unless there's an injury or, you know, just something else happens. And I'm just more so than anything really interested to see where it goes from here, you know? Yeah, for sure. And and the the question we can't answer and the question I think about a lot is what's going on in his head? Yeah. What is this like for him and, and how long can he endure this? You know, and there's a chance he's taking this all well. There's a chance he's a, we know he's a real competitor and we, maybe he's going home every night and going, coach is right. I got to get better, but we'll see how this develops, man. I don't think it's going to, if he's not going to play, it's going to be a bigger story at some point this season. People have asked me a lot about this and just like, is Michael Porter Jr. pissed off at Michael Malone right now that he's not playing? Is he going to you know, become a malcontent, demand a trade, as wild as that would seem? My read on it is that, yes, of course he wishes he was playing. Like, a lot of guys at the end of this bench do that, haven't been playing this year, wish they were. He wishes he was out there for sure in the rotation. I think he believes he should be out there, but... I also think that he understands how deep this team is and how yeah. good they were last year. He he watched them win every one of those 54 games and 100%. watched them win 
what, 13 games in the playoffs. Uh, so I think he gets that as well. Uh, the last one I had here on my underrated, under-talked-about storylines, Gary Harris's offense and um, how bad he's been on offense has been masked a little bit by just how good he's been defensively. And we saw his best offensive game against Sacramento the other night where he set a new season high in the first quarter, but he finished with 25 points, 8-16 from the field, 4-9 from three. By far his best offensive game of the year. But largely, he has been terrible offensively and uh, a shell of what he was last year. It's just been a very weird start to the year from him. It's been hard for me with these player grades, man, because there's like an A-plus on the defensive end half of the time. But this is a, a sizable contract player, a once, like, I think, third option in this offense, um, even second at times in years past, who's, who's not producing at all. Um, and, and that's noteworthy. Like, he's been bad on the offensive end. Timid, timid around the rim, can't yeah. hit an open shot. His instincts, like his feel right now in the pick and roll, it's bizarre because I thought two seasons ago he was making some some large developments as, as a as a playmaker. Uh, he was really getting good at that like pocket pass out of the pick and roll, finding ways to, to really make things happen with the ball in his hands. He's taken a few steps back, but how you weigh that against how good he's been defensively and how good the Nuggets have been as a team, I mean, do you... Is it better or worse, right, if, if Gary is just relegated to some sort of defensive specialist? I'm not sure yet. Yeah, I think it's okay if he is relegated to a defensive specialist because with how good Will Barton is this year and how much of a central role we know Millsap will have on the offensive end when he's out there, the Nuggets need a guy to be that fourth or fifth option, just be that spot-up shooter with that starting five. Maybe that's Gary, and what he, what else he does on the offensive end is just a bonus. The thing about that is... He's got to be shooting better than 35% from three mm. to be that spot-up shooter and that fifth option. Um, maybe this is a sign that he's breaking out of it against Sacramento. Maybe it's not, but you know, he the three-point shooting last year, I attributed a lot of it to just the injuries and how he you know, just never really felt 100% for a lot of the year, and I thought that affected his shot, but you know he's shooting around what he did last year from three. Worth noting, I thought, in that first quarter, in that first half, yeah, he hit some really tough shots that he hasn't been hitting this season, but we also saw a couple of backdoor cuts. We also saw right. Gary get some easy buckets in ways he hasn't been able to do this season. I think part of that is Will Barton being back and healthy. Part of it is that this isn't a Jokic ball offense right now. That's probably a big part of it. Uh, but yeah, he, he was doing some things that we haven't seen from him this year in that Sacramento game. Hopefully a good sign. Last thing on Gary... I do think it's a little fitting that the Nuggets offense is struggling and it looks like it looks totally unlike it has for the last couple seasons in terms of the ball and player movement and how centered around Jokic it's been. It's looked nothing like that for most of this season and how Gary Harris, the guy who was, you know, here from the beginning of the Jokic ball era, the guy who exemplifies so many qualities that the Nuggets offense is about like the unselfishness, the off-ball movement, and that he's also struggling as well. I think that's not a coincidence at all. Well said. Um, let's look ahead to this Laker game. Uh, a big matchup Tuesday here at Pepsi Center. Before we do, though, Piper Electric has been serving the Denver metro area since 1983 through a commitment to customer service and team performance. 
Piper Electric is the hometown electrical contractor you can trust. If you call 303-646-6765, they will give you the DNVR hookup and save you 20% off your next service call. No job is too big or too small for Piper Electric. They work with the top professionalism and integrity in the biz. Residential, commercial, or industrial, don't forget you have to call 303-646-6765 to receive 20% off your next service call. Lakers in town Tuesday, Brendan. What's maybe the one thing you're most looking forward to or most interested about when it comes to this matchup? No, one thing. I got to pick one. Um, <laughs> pick one. I'm I'm interested to see which Denver Nuggets team we get. We have seen this team play up and play down throughout the years, but they do play up. That's the thing. And mm-hmm. this Lakers team is very good. It's a tough matchup for Denver, but they haven't played a lot of teams that are above 500. They haven't succeeded against the teams that they have. And this is not like Golden State coming into town last season looking to drop 75 in the first half and make a statement. The Lakers might be wanting to make a statement, but they just don't have that that ceiling to me, right? That blow nuggets out of the out of the room, out of the water ceiling. So I'm expecting a really, really good game. I just want to see the Nuggets throw that Sacramento game out. You know, yeah. just forget it and just come out with, with the energy that's gotten you off to your best start since the merger. Yeah, it seems like they're ready to throw that out. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm with you. I, I think I'm expecting a close game as well. Um the the only thing that makes me hesitant about that is the Lakers have been one of the best offenses in the league this year, and I just don't know if Denver's going to be able to keep pace. You know, yeah, uh, uh, um, yeah. We'll we'll see. You know, they haven't gone up against a <clears throat> LeBron Anthony Davis pick and roll combo yet uh, this year. We'll see how they react to that. I, I'll be fascinated to find out. But my first instinct is what yours was that they're going to play up to their competition. It's going to be a good game. What I'm most looking forward to and most interested in is how is this team going to guard LeBron James? Yeah, and who's going to guard LeBron? James? Who's going to guard LeBron James? I was talking with Will Bart in our practice today. I asked him if he's going to get the LeBron matchup to start. He said, "Quote shit, I better." <laughs> That's legendary. <laughs> um, and I expect him to get the start on LeBron with you know Millsap on Anthony Davis. I guess Jokic on Javale McGee try to keep him out of foul trouble a little bit. But then here's what I'll also be looking for. The Nuggets acquired Jeremy Grant because of his mm-hmm. defensive versatility. And it will in part because of his defensive versatility, how he can guard all five positions. We've seen him play the three, I think, for like two minutes this entire season so far. And I wonder if we get some Jeremy Grant at the three minutes against the Lakers. You know, couldn't you see him being like the first sub off the bench replacing Barton or maybe replacing Gary Harris, and suddenly you've got a lineup of Jamal Murray, Will Barton, or Gary Harris, and then Jeremy Grant at the three, and then Millsap, Jokic. I would be interested to see how that team is able to match up against the Lakers. They may need to. As good as Barton's been and as great as that quote is, it also seems like what comes before a whooping. I mean, LeBron, (laughs) I don't have to explain who LeBron James is, but more to the point, (laughs) they don't have that size on the wing in Barton. They just don't. So there's a chance they need Grant in there. Um, that's a really, really good point. Malone has he hasn't shied away, you know, from from talking about mixing around with lineups and, and trying to be trying to find more lineup versatility this season. We haven't seen a ton of it yet, um, 
But I, I think we'll see some against this Lakers team. Another thought I had is they're going to need to hit their outside shots, man. I mean, the Lakers protect the paint so well. The Nuggets outside of Barton don't have a lot of guys that are that are penetrating. Jokic seems to be allergic to the post right now. And so I can't see them really racking up a lot of points in the paint against this defense. And so this is a streaky shooting team in Denver that I think is going to have to hit their shots to win. For sure. Also, I think Jamal Murray wants to have a big game. It seems like he always likes to go up against the Lakers. Even though this game isn't on national TV, it seems like you know he always wants to show out against the marquee teams, and, and, and the Lakers are definitely that. Who do you think cares more about this game, the Lakers or the Nuggets? That's a good question. That's a really good question. You know, I don't know if either team really cares that much about this game, I, but I would go the Nuggets because I don't think this game is really big for the Lakers at all. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's big for the Nuggets at all either. You know, to be very honest, I think it's probably bigger for them than the Lakers, but this is not some must-win game. Um, this is, I, I think, maybe a must-compete game. You know, mm. if you if the Nuggets get blown out, that's right. probably a little concerning. Uh, but this is not a, a must-win game by any means. But, yeah, if to your question, I, I'd say Denver. Yeah, and I think... What makes this game any kind of important for Denver is just you want to keep that momentum rolling, or more importantly, you want to stop potential bleeding after that Sacramento game. You know, the vibe finally got back on the right track, and the hype train had left the station. That's a really tough loss in Sacramento, but it's it's very easily digestible if you play closer, you win a game, a close game against the Lakers. So it's not so much about beating L.A., it's just keeping that momentum going. Because I, I think if this team believes that they're good enough, um, and, and is playing with joy, then there's a very, very short list of teams that are better than them in this league. Yeah, well put. Looking forward to the game. Also, check out what we were talking about at the top of the show, our countdown of the top 50 most important sports figures of the decade uh, here in Denver across all sports. I wrote our section on Daniel Daniel Gallinari here, uh, which came out on Monday, and it was actually kind of fun to go back and check out you know, some of his big moments from the decade. And I think you wrote the one on Jamal Murray, but um, Gallinari just just closing here. He probably doesn't. He probably will go down as like one of the more underappreciated guys of this decade. He, in my mind, was the bridge that connects the mellow era to the this current era, the Jokic era of Nuggets basketball. And, you know, if it wasn't for the injuries, man, he would be looked at a lot more fondly, I feel like. He, yeah, I agree. This is one of one of the careers that it was it went very well, um, but it could have gone a lot better. And I don't know if he's going to be on a lot of people's shortlist for uh, most underrated or most underappreciated guys in the league, but I think he should be. Gallo was really, really good at his peak. And you're right, absolutely the face of the post-Mellow Nuggets. And I'm really glad that he came in ahead of Melo in those rankings. I thought that was fun. Obviously the right call, given that we're working with that window of time. Um, it's it's Anytime you get a chance to appreciate Gallo, what he did in Denver, the team doesn't have a lot to show for it outside of those 57 regular season wins. But like you said, the bridge to where they're at now, and he kept Denver basketball fun um, when it really should have been spiraling post-Melo. Yeah, definitely. And um, also Gallinari, a guy who I think is going to be one of the hottest commodities on the trade market yep. uh, this winter. 
And boy, would he look good off the bench in mm. Denver. Just stoking the flames. No, I'll you're just, right. you're I'll just leave it at that, yeah. <laughs> all right, I think that's all the time we got for today. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back with a new episode on Wednesday. Talk to you then. Hey, guys, before we get out of here, you probably know that taking care of your teeth is pretty important, but our friends at Green Mantle Dental Group are giving away a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. That's right. All you have to do is take care of your teeth for Green Mountain Dental Group to hand over a free Sonicare. Check them out today online or call 303-988-0711 to schedule your appointment today.